0: This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith,
1: and mental health with your hosts Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. my good friend and colleague uh Kyle Myers how you doing Kyle I'm doing pretty good man I'm doing pretty good how are you Dr Hank uh, I'm good I'm excited because this is technically in terms of just us talking together this is episode 10 for nice. us Nice So this is this is a big mark we're heading towards um uh 12 uh really quickly um you know heading up to our 1 year mark and things like that Yeah yeah So it's been good thank you for our listeners who've been uh, joining us on this journey and I hope that uh You've had as much fun listening to the podcast as we have had recording it. Recording it. So, um, anyway, I just want to jump into our first segment. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that we normally uh, start here just to see what uh, Kyle and I are, are kind of watching and the things that might be of interest to to you. So, I'll start with you, Kyle. Well, what you been watching recently, other than some Hitchcock?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, definitely some Hitchcock. Um, I went to see Pearl twice. At Gateway. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and enjoyed it, obviously, enough to, to see it twice, mm-hmm. uh, largely because uh, the continued exploration of uh, restraint and tradition versus liberation and, and the character of Pearl in 1918 um, is very bored with her farm life. Uh, violently bored, I would say, Um, (laughs) and is obsessed with uh, the the movie theater in town and and, uh, her dream of being one of those people and being loved by the whole world, Um, which is in contrast to the limited uh, amount of love or more disciplined love she receives from her German immigrant mother. Yeah. Um, And so there's a lot uh, going on there with those themes that I think that they draw out in some uh fascinating and horrific ways that uh, yeah just uh, there's a lot I've actually spent quite a bit of time writing uh, some thoughts and connecting some some uh, other movies along with that and narrative stuff that that I enjoy digging into anyways but yeah but that's um, surprisingly was uh, offered a lot more than I anticipated yeah. yeah
1: that's awesome again just another thing that's happening as a result of the uh um, the things going on with, uh, with horror films recently, especially since, and for those of you uh, who have watched this or listened to the podcast, you know that Pearl is something that Kyle's been looking to forward to for a while, and it's a prequel, is my understanding, to the movie X. That's right. Right. And so if you are looking for more in this genre, and I heard recently actually A24 per, like approved mm-hmm. some more films in That's this right, series. That's
0: right, yeah, a sequel to X, yeah. Yeah,
1: so this is going to be really interesting to see kind of where they go with all of this. So they're kind of building quite a uh, stable of films, if you will.
0: It's true. And as we said before, um, X – includes some pornographic material, but part of the whole nature of it is exploring uh, sexuality and pornography in modern and postmodern terms um, and constructs, again, in relationship to uh, a religious context um, and the, the uh, oppressive nature of that or loss of that or mm-hmm. the impact of that ultimately on the character in, yeah. in X. Um, and certainly so in in Pearl as well. So that keeps me fascinated beyond the, what looks like a exploit, exploitative um, kind of uh, uh, feature or journey or whatever. Um, it definitely seems like it's more than that. Yeah, or I, w- or I wouldn't keep bringing it up to everybody's discomfort. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, as as people know, I've, I've met, mentioned this
1: before. The uh, the eight twenty four films, I'm always just a little bit suspicious of. But they are able to explore some themes, uh, I think, uh, sometimes that are really interesting. It's just that they are a little bit more um, intense than more of your average film, and so, um, for sure, yeah. So they they've got some of that. So just just keep that in mind also as you're watching it. You know, choose choose wisely, especially with relation to your mental health. For me, um, I just rewatched this recently. I don't know what prompted this, but Another Earth, which is um, mm, yeah, yeah, it's a kind of a it's a classic film for me. It came out in 2011, so it's. It's quite a bit old, um, comparatively, but uh, it's it's a really good film, I think. That
0: features... Mul- multiverse is it multiverse ish?
1: Yeah, it is multiverse ish. Um, it's because it's, but it's actually multiverse ish, not in the way that the traditional films that we've been talking about recently are multiverse ish. Because the uh, you know you're not traveling across an interdimensional plane. There's actually just literally a second Earth appears in the skyline of. Um, this first Earth and the main character, um, uh, Britt Marling, uh, played by Rhonda Williams, uh, who's a great actress, um, but isn't in a ton of uh, in a ton of stuff. Um, so, what's interesting um, is that she um, is a and I'll actually no I, I got that wrong. So it's her the character's name is Rhonda Williams is Britt Marling is the actress, um, but. So she's uh, this character in high school valedictorian goes through college, like goes through um, school, just you know acing it out, going to a big Ivy League school. Catches Earth the second Earth in the skyline, and apparently that's when the timelines break. Both Earths were continuing along the same skyline until they saw each other in the sky, and now the timelines broke, and so everyone's living different lives um, because of that kind of break in the timeline. And so it's kind of this like tangential timeline for each of them. And um, Rhonda is actually uh, gets in a car accident, kills a, a young family uh, of another character, and then just, like, devolves kind of into a very depressive, angry episode. And she kind of, it's, it's a story of her journey back to redemption. I think the movement from um, guilt to grief is, is very well displayed mm-hmm. here. And um, so it's a, it's a great story, I think, of forgiveness and healing and thinking through, like, Consequences are they permanent? You know what? What do we do with those? And there's a, there's a great spiritual element to it as well. Um, but speaking of, um, just to, in a rough transition kind of way, um, one of our viewers actually messaged us, and just to remind anyone, you can do this at any time. You can email us at arthouseroadshow at gmail.com. Um, you hit up any of our socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram, or you could you know message us individually uh, at Duke Thirteen Theo or at Cinema Nineteen Seventy Eight but one of our listeners did um, message us and asked us to explain a little bit more on this uh, movement from guilt to grief that we've been talking about for the past two podcasts more explicitly, but has been a consistent theme throughout our entire uh, show. And so uh, Kyle, since you're the one who kind of introduced this movement to us, could you say just uh, a little bit more maybe about it? I know you've said some stuff already, but anything else that you want to add to that for our viewers who might be interested in this concept, which is very therapeutic for
0: that matter. So. Any, yeah, any thoughts sure. or insights there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, one, it, it will connect uh, significantly to the Hitchcock conversation because mm. his uh, his Catholic guilt is very much uh, feeding all of his uh, narratives and, and uh, suspenseful structures, as we'll dig into. Um, but I think both on uh, something I've, uh, quote-unquote, deconstructed both coming – out of evangelical faith uh, where a kind of puritanism uh, or or purity culture, as Dr. Hank has been exploring Mm -hmm. uh, in other work, um, where uh, there's a lot—it seems like uh, I hear people talk about growing up a church being riddled with anxiety uh, or being overwhelmed with guilt, right? Um, And ultimately, guilt is a really terrible motivator for Mm. being a Christian or being Mm -hmm. a human being. Um, And if you're constantly reacting to your world as, well, I'm going to do this, this typically in codependent relationships, even potentially with God, of I'm going to do this out of obligation so I don't feel guilty, Mm. right? Does that Mm. make sense? It does, yeah. Um, And that my whole... Uh, or often, my goal is to not feel bad, not feel guilty. So I'm going to do uh, X, Y, or Z, right? Mm-hmm. Action, uh, which can be terrible in relationships. So, uh, and then on the more liberal side, which is uh, the what we've been more highlighting in the films we've been watching, talking about uh, *Parasite* being uh, always the primary yeah. recent example. Uh, where you have a narrative that, uh, and if, you, if you're on, you know, uh, the, the politics on Twitter, you follow any of that stuff, um, so much of it is a guilt and shame kind of culture of mm-hmm. politi- political correctness and, and that whole approach mm-hmm. uh, to controlling others is that you should feel bad for saying that, right? And you should feel guilty for saying that, Uh Which is limited at best regarding, one, how people react to that kind of thing, Uh, even if it's uh, good in nature that you should be more sensitive to um, how people to other people's sensitivity and and those kind of things. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So, again, just like purity culture in evangelical uh, has good intentions uh, and political correctness might have good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, if all we're left with is guilt and obligation, um, then it's typically not um, achieving its actual goal, right? Yeah, yeah, So in these narratives regarding moving from guilt into grief, uh, grief allows us to have a deeper experience with the larger injustices uh, in the world um, and being able to process them in a way that uh, is just simply more spiritual uh, and it is better soil for us to, one, be more honest in, because mm-hmm. um, guilt is not typically an honest place to work from. Mm. Um, where grief is a way to acknowledge the, the difficult emotions involved uh, in an honest way and then you know, be open to uh, what might be you know, a, a choice for you or an action, you know, that you can, you can make. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, <clears throat> uh, and there's other, you know, parts of, you know, grief is one of those things. Uh, love and connection and these other things obviously play into that as well. But in our movie narratives, mm-hmm. uh, that the ones that stop at guilt, like you should feel bad about the classism issues and Us or in mm-hmm. Parasite. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're left with. Um, it doesn't allow for that process. It's not invitational into grief. It's more of, uh, you should feel bad and we should do better um, kind of you know, processing, which to me is not only limited, but in its own way, somewhat destructive. Yeah,
1: and I mean, do you see that displayed through all the films we've talked about? I think about even as early back as January, we talked about the Joker. Um, and you do have that sense in which that is meant to feel, fill you with a sense of guilt about, you know, things like riches and things like that. And, mm-hmm. wealth. and so what is it like to grieve wealth instead, um, which is, you know, I see the more healthy thing. It's And it's not, it doesn't mean just destruction like it does for
0: the Joker, yep. which is burning everything down, but it means something else entirely. Um, Absolutely. And again, in, you know, in terms of grief processed, uh, you know, the the uh, quote unquote end, although that's not, Uh, that simple ending Mm -hmm. in grief, but um, acceptance, reconciliation, and forgiveness are all Mm. possible in the grief process. Yes. Uh, But in guilt, it's just, I don't want to feel bad, so I'm not going to say that anymore, Mm. Uh, right? Or I'm not going to do that anymore, uh, so I feel better about myself, which is ultimately selfish. Where grief is going to require something different of you, you the storyteller, you the filmmaker, you the person uh, who is has been a victim of injustice, whatever that looks like, um, and so getting around to acceptance, forgiveness, reconciliation is a process of grief. Ultimately. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, that's powerful. And again, the thing that is being that we're trying to promote here in the on the podcast, if you you know look at the, even there's the subtitle, it's on um, theology, mental health, and and films, and so films can be a part of the grief process. I know for us, both of us have found. A great world in films that are helpful towards you know our general mental state not to sidestep the things we feel but rather a way to transition from guilt to grief I yeah. think in a better way and so thank you for sharing that um, and if you have more questions feel free to reach out to us we're always happy to explain stuff that we've been talking about for true a while. And, and great question yeah. thank you for asking that absolutely so now uh, episode 10 our main uh, conversation point today is to talk about Alfred Hitchcock Mm -hmm. Um, and so what a great director someone I know that both of us really enjoy um, as a uh, as a thinker as a film uh, maker and things like that he's a little bit um, his films are a little on the older side but they are still to date I think some of the more exciting films I've ever seen they stay with me I think every Hitchcock film I've ever watched stays with me in, a, in its own unique way yeah but, um, uh, Kyle I wonder if you will uh kind of introduce us into a little bit because I know that you know quite a bit about Hitchcock um and I would love to hear just kind of some background stuff anything uh, you already mentioned a little bit his Catholic guilt and so uh what can you tell <laughs> us about Alfred Hitchcock that might be important to set up our conversation today
0: yeah well I think yeah that um, Catholic guilt side of it. Just in even talking about his own childhood, growing up uh, at the age of five, he's, he talks about. And again, there's so many books uh, on Hitchcock. Hitchcock was really the beginning of film criticism. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, the French c- uh, critics from K. Uh, K. C- Here's Du Cinema, which is the notebook of cinema in French. Yeah. Um, And Which is where Jean-Luc Godard, who just recently passed away, he was a critic there. Uh, One of my favorites, Andre Bazin, who actually was not a big fan of Hitchcock. Uh, But the majority of the uh, critics there were, and they started to make a bigger deal about him. Mm. Because at that point, he had only been known as this great entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who made these great movies about suspense that everybody went to see and nobody had really identified him as any kind of artist or any kind of, you know, subtext and these kind of things going mm-hmm. on, you know, mm-hmm. beneath the surface. Just explored it, right? Um, and so part of it was, you know, like the the emerging of film criticism had a ton to do with Hitchcock in the first place. But Hitchcock was literally born with the movies. He was born in eighteen ninety nine mm-hmm. uh when the movies began. Mm-hmm. Um, and he grew up in, he grew up Catholic, grew up in a Catholic school, uh, grew up with, you know, very, uh, um, difficult disciplinary world, mm. uh, that again, coming back to, uh, purity culture, mm-hmm. um, promoted fear as a way of, um, mm-hmm. you know, controlling behavior basically in his Catholic school at his home. Uh, and his dad was even known when he was age five to take him to the police station and have him put in jail for only like five minutes. But it was a like core kind of uh, fear based thing that Alfred Hitchcock talked about having fear of police officers for the rest of his life. Wow. Um, Yep. That's incredible. (laughs) Uh huh. And, but anyways, so fascinating, just uh, exploring him emotionally, psychologically, spiritually as a person, Um, and how much of that fed into uh, most of his narratives and stories Mm -hmm. that he would come up with. Um, So this whole idea of the wrong man, which is a a film we'll talk about that's actually called The Wrong Man, but that was one of his consistent, most consistent themes is um, this idea of um, the transfer of guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so having a character... Uh, an innocent character in the movie be charged with something uh, that they're not guilty of and having to deal with that uh, mm-hmm. as a part of the uh, whatever's hap- whatever narrative is happening is key yeah and uh, so again just that measuring of that experience um, and and how people would handle that and the spirituality of that yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, yep. I was,
1: I was emphatically agreeing um, with all of that. I think that the Wrong Man is such an interesting film to watch and explore around Easter, um, because there is that sense of he sharing Absolutely. in and participating in kind of this Christological place where it's you've got this character who's wrongly convicted, and the great thing I love about it because there's a lot of courtroom dramas or at least um, you know movies or TV shows that film this kind of thing, right? They they cover this kind of thing where someone is wrongly convicted and ultimately either sentenced to death or exonerated and there's usually like high courtroom drama. You don't get really any of that. It's a very dispassionate, kind of cold like look at the legal system which knowing this background now about hitchcock makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. if that's how he kind of saw it yeah um and so you know they've just convicted this guy and they they're convinced that he's the one who's done it and so he just kind of coldly goes through this thing it's really chilling in that way but it also presents this this uh this central kind of christological motif especially around like holy week that you can watch and feel kind of how this um like a, a criminal justice system kind of turned inside out and performing the opposite of, of justice can be such a cold and, and, and calculating and problematic thing. And so I, I love that insight as a way to view exactly why and what he's doing there in The Wrong Man. That's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, and, yeah, just exploring, again, like Hitchcock was – uh, excessively modern, right mm, in, in mm-hmm. every way in his storytelling and and, and kind of exploring certainly the um, extremes of that of that world, but even the idea in the wrong man mm-hmm. um, that they look so much alike, but it's also a time where, uh, people dressed very similarly. It wasn't right. like today where everybody had, you know, a different band's T-shirt and, That's right, yeah. you know, a different, you know, just much more uh, expressive over the last 30 years of uh, 40 years of clothing. Yeah. Um, where still in the 40s and 50s, you know, most adult men in particular looked very similar out on the street. Um, and so fascinating kind of playing on that one, mm-hmm. uh, just that possibility Um, but then too, yeah, the other, the other parts, I mean, Jesus literally makes an appearance in the sacred heart icon there, um, as the moment of revelation, um, happens. And I think he prays the sacred heart prayer, which includes, you know, protect me in the midst of danger, comfort Mm -hmm. me in my afflictions. If you're Catholic, you know this. And so, uh, yeah, very, uh, more, that's more explicit and prominent, uh, where it's more usually subtext. In in his films, but that one's actually very powerful. Yeah, and
1: I mean, there's so many films. I mean, he's got a quite a stable of films that are just all very interesting, and they explore these themes in a very unique way. I know I mentioned last time, and um, and Kyle kind of had a really great response that I thought that it would be interesting to see what Hitchcock could do with cinema today, like someone with his kind of mind and inventiveness. But it might not have come across the subtlety the way that you know films and studios kind of want one to I mean, would it be possible today in today's film like scene for someone like Hitchcock to do what he did, you know, to have those insights, to have that subtlety. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not saying that it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, there are sure. still art house films and people doing great work, but would would it receive the same kind of attention? That's that's interesting. Because it's also couched in these very powerful stories. I mean, when people think of Hitchcock, they probably think of Psycho, mm-hmm. right? His big famous one. And there's been several movies that have Uh, detailed the making of that film from very different angles. Uh, My favorite is Hitchcock with um, Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren. Even ScarJo is in that one. Yes, for sure. I I like that film a lot. Um, But yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's just when you watch his films, you're kind of taking in real... And if you have to watch it multiple times because you're taking in a, like a real depth that you don't normally see in, in many films. I mean, this is not a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. And so it doesn't follow that script and I, it doesn't try to. And I think that's great. Uh, but yeah, so did do you want to say a little bit more about Wrong Man or, or did you see like any other films that kind of share that same kind of like um, pattern of thought or the, the, maybe the more subtle spirituality in another film or something of that nature?
0: Yeah. Um, and I'll jump to that in a second. But yeah, back to the. Yeah, Hitchcock, you know, in Mm -hmm. postmodern times and digital times. Yeah. um, That part of his brilliance was one, he came up in the studio system in England Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and (coughs) was uh, beloved by directors at that time because he was so excited to be there and so excited to learn everything about the process. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. he also had a very, not just artistic mind, but engineer kind Mm. of mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time he became a director, like he literally knew how everything worked Uh, and he could uh, potentially, you know, jump into any department, quote unquote, and uh, participate or fix a problem, you know, or whatever. Um, And so again, just his, um, ability at that time is very industrial, much more industrial mm-hmm. uh, kind of set, setting and set up and studio um, and all of those kind of things. Like while he's learning how to do all the hands on, his imagination is going wild. You know? Yeah, totally. And so and one of the mo- more interesting things as well, his relationship with actors was different because he didn't again in the more uh, postmodern sense. There's a lot more improvisation and kind of we want something more real and authentic. Um, but for Hitchcock, he already had everything planned out. So even editing was a lesser exercise for him because mm. it was mm-hmm. so well imagined and so well storyboarded, mm-hmm. they would have everything set and literally editing with the camera basically as mm. they're with their shooting. Um, But actors in that sense, it's like he wanted something very specific from the actors, Mm. um, which in the 50s and 60s, he started to run into problems with newer actors like Montgomery Clift, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the Brando type of acting or the Paul Newman kind of acting, um, which was much more emotional, much more internal, much more about acting, Mm -hmm. um, and it was less controllable. But he was famous for saying, uh, and he was being funny when he said it, but... Uh, that actors are just cattle to him <laughs> to be controlled. Yeah. Uh, the same way you would have a horse on set, um you would have you would have an actor. Mm, that's um, hilarious. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And so again, like his methods of control were were fascinating and building these worlds. The fascinating thing about it compared to digital mm-hmm. is just him building these worlds mm-hmm. in the studios or on location and different uh, different spaces. Yeah. And um and then just the censorship. He grew up in the era of censorship, and he literally had to fund Psycho himself because the studios wouldn't even touch the material he was going after mm-hmm. um, because it had never been done before. Uh, right. Horror movies that had all been monster movies or, uh, at worst, you know, Frankenstein or Dracula mm-hmm. um, and or science fiction aliens were obviously were popular in the 50s, right. but yeah. nobody had ever done a Psycho killer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, particularly in, in that way. Yeah. And so, he, anyways, that ended up being his biggest, most fruitful, profitable movie, mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, since he you know literally put his house and everything um, into that mm-hmm. to, f- to do it. But but anyways, the whole uh, the whole point was – sorry, I ramble. No, you're good. Um, about censorship is that he loved censorship in a way mm-hmm. where that just brought out more of his creativity. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not allowed to do this or I'm not allowed to show that. Uh, so how am I going to get a- around that? Or how am, how am I going to still express that um, even though it won't look like this? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, just a fascinating kind of creativity, which is part of the whole, uh, you know, in terms of uh, progressive thinking, it's that it's all liberation, 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 and the qualification of Christian faith – uh, and something more "quote unquote" conservative, um, not not far right, but conservative in the sense of restraint, right, um, yeah. is actually healthy for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. And for Hitchcock, that was true in his faith, but also in his art, uh, that that really drew out you know creativity. And there's an importance there. Yeah, you know, subtlety is such
1: an important feature right. of his films. I mean, the uh, I mean one of my favorite things is that like they keep trying to I, I mean. I don't know how much uh, you want to go into this. I, probably not very much, but Psycho, for example, like it is such a contained, subtle film, mm-hmm. yet communicates so very much mm-hmm. in terms of like what it's trying to say about the characters, the scenes, the emotions of it. You know, I mean, I think one of the big innovations that it does is you you introduce your leading lady early on, yeah. give this hook for her, and then immediately take yeah. her out, which yeah. is a huge shift, you know, in terms of like thinking about like films and stuff like that. And so, um they keep trying to – and I, because I know that they've been attempted sequels, for example. Right. Um, and then also reboots and remakes yep. to try and recapture what um, Hitchcock does here. But I don't think it achieves very well because they do it without – I think a lot of them come out after there's less censorship. Yeah. And, and it doesn't quite do it justice. I mean, obviously, you can't beat the original, right, and things of that nature. But I think that it's um, – I think it's saying something that with, with all the constraints on him – his scenes where he's uh, you know kind of displaying the the intensity right and he had a very interesting relationship with like film music right mm-hmm. so rear window is one of those things that's very plotting and quiet and but you know here at psycho obviously there's the famous kind of yeah you know, the music that Bernard goes on that's right right and so i mean in some sense like he 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 works as a he's almost like a minimalist in terms of his artistic kind of approach but he is able to with very little communicate very much and Again, subtlety is so important. I mean, don't show us always the thing, but um, you know, give us the uh, let our imaginations kind of do some work. But yeah, great, great work Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, so, so yeah. Anything else on Hitchcock that'll help us kind of contextualize a little bit about what he's going through here?
0: Well, again, yeah, even just with uh, with Psycho and with the psycho killer thing, which um, made I think Peter Bogdanovich, who was a filmmaker critic uh said who experienced psycho in the theaters back in 1960 um but one revolutionized like even just he says it was the first time that the cinema ever felt the theater ever felt unsafe actually felt dangerous Mm. um and and again that was based on partly based on um a real life uh Person who was not imitating his mother, but was you know chopping people up and 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 a mm-hmm. story that that was based on right. So it's also based on a real life something. Mm-hmm. It's also uh, something that uh, Hitchcock used to promote the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting as well. But he even it's fascinating that he moved from from that movie, uh, creating this whole new genre subgenre of horror, uh, into the birds, which is. Uh, still possibly the most fascinating apocalyptic movie regarding nature, Apocalypse in particular. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that uh, that you can witness or see. Uh, again, <clears throat> just how um, capable he was at creating this terror and fear and randomness. Um that they experience on this island uh, with the yeah. birds. And so, yeah, moving and then basically revolutionizing the monster movie or the, the apocalyptic movie at the same time is fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that he's one of those arti- artists who, um, like I have a favorite theologian, Rowan Williams, and I feel like he has an important essay on like every topic that interests me. I mean, mm-hmm. Hitchcock has his fingerprints on a lot of different genres Absolutely. of film. Absolutely. Uh, the birds, you know, anecdotally, my sister uh, watched birds. We probably watched birds a little too young as kids, and to mm-hmm. this day, my sister still has a fear of birds. Yep, for that reason. I, and it, it, you're right; like it revolutionizes kind of this um, nature apocalyptic. Um, work that I think is, is so interesting. I mean, there's a lot of themes going along when it's made about, you know, the Cold War and so a lot of kind of allusions to like nuclear fallout and things like that with that because you have this kind of white cloud of birds that they keep referencing. I The thing even as I go back and watch that because here's another movie that people try to make sequels to or try and redo, you know, contemporary. And it still doesn't quite get the, um, you know, get the kind of gist of what I think... Um, hitchcock was trying to do because again his vision wasn't guiding it but um i'm just amazed and this is more like just a technical standpoint how much he was able to pull off with birds and um and i mean just special effects really yeah absolutely like that it feels real the terror is there and there's this foreboding sense of dread like where they come upon a scene where a person has been, you know, yeah. killed by a, a set of birds. Like like there's that sense of dread that I associate with kind of the more modern, you know, horror films like I've talked about here in four, like uh, The Witch, which is an A twenty four film, which is more mm-hmm. than just this deep sense of foreboding and mm-hmm. and, and and shock and, and terror. I feel that with that. Then you have these high points of stress um, in the birds as well. So that's something that's always been so interesting to me. Um, I'm always fascinated with the idea of like nature turning on Humanity, sure. In a certain sense, I mean, this doesn't do it as well, but you know, I think about like you know, M. Night Shyamalan doing the happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some things that hold up that film, but the concept is fascinating to me. Um, Absolutely, and foreboding and terror and stuff like that. And so, I think there's a really interesting kind of sense in which the Birds is a unique kind of monster film of its own. So, yeah, very good. Uh, what? So, with the Birds, like, if you're if you're somebody who's never watched Hitchcock before. Is there a specific order you would watch films in with him? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I was thinking about this today. I was like, obviously, I've watched a lot of Hitchcock. But there, I mean, some of my students have never watched Hitchcock. Like, as I mentioned him before in class. Yep. And I, I don't know. So, like, is there, a, is there a recommended kind of, like, like building up to
0: maybe Psycho or the Birds? Or,
1: or maybe you just start out big. I don't know. Like, what would you recommend?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, again, I think The Wrong Man is an interesting place to start. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And uh, two of my earlier favorites so there's a the big five, and I'll talk about the big five in a second. Okay. Um, but uh, super fun and great and classic Hitchcock is Strangers on a Train. Yep. Uh, which they're going to show at, at Gateway, 35 millimeter. Uh, another uh, fascinating one is Rope with Jimmy Stewart, which was 48, 49, uh, which is fascinating in that Hitchcock made it look like it was all one take mm. um, and hid where they had to only cut because they had stopped. They only had you know so much film, they had to replace it and, and start over. But he had literally, again, in this excessive uh, way of functioning for him, planned out the whole thing. It all takes place in an apartment. Uh, and it has a very crime and punishment uh, Russian literature um, – Idea behind it. Have you seen it? Have you seen Rope? I haven't. Yeah, no. yeah. So you would love it. But, anyways, two guys at the very beginning of the movie uh, kill a friend of theirs and then they put him in a uh, coffin or casket kind of thing that has a flat uh, top and they literally throw a party. It's like this kind of high society uh, mm. party that mm. they're hosting. And they use his coffin that he, the dead body, is in, to serve food and mm-hmm. to serve whatever. And this whole idea is that they're these two are in constant conversation. One of them is obviously like a narcissist, um, and the other one goes along with it. But the part of the tension of the film is that one feels guilty and the other doesn't. One. Yes. Um, but the whole idea is that they've been they were in you know the ha- in this class uh, with professor who is Jimmy Stewart plays the professor who comes mm-hmm. to the party. Um, but they talked about this kind of crime and punishment idea of being above the law of being wow. above that, that I am, you know, that certain people are not human enough, uh, or worthy enough. And that if I murder them, it's not murder. Mm. Um, mm. you know, it's like grace or something dumb. Yeah. And, but anyways, uh, and, and the crime and punishment is the the brilliant version of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but Hitchcock you know has that that conversation's happening uh in the movie and basically the big twist if there is one um is simply that uh Jimmy Stewart starts to put the pieces together um and then at some point charges them um and confronts them and so Jimmy Stewart's you know it's great but it all takes place in this just one area and there's you know you have the kind of Uh, Hitchcock humor the dark humor and like all these things going on with it but you had there's real contention there's real kind of heavy spiritual emotional stuff going on as well so definitely that's a gateway showing that again yeah but those are two uh, I mean very fun places to start um, in addition to the wrong man Uh, but the big five which is you know you can currently his first 4k release uh, is a package of the Birds, Psycho, mm-hmm. North by Northwest, which is also just a highly entertaining movie. Right, with yeah. lots of great subtext as well. Uh, Rear Window, of course, which yep. is probably if I was going to recommend one to start with, Rear Window would be it. That's a great ultimately. one. Ultimately, uh, and then Vertigo, which is um, currently, oh, yes. currently considered uh, by most critics in the sight and sound poll to be actually replaced citizen Kane as the greatest film really uh, on their list back in 2012. So the new list is coming out this year. That's interesting.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm listening That's right,
0: enthusiastically
1: because I'm thinking I need to, if I can, I need to get, I was actually trying to look up on the gateway to see when rope was playing. Yeah. Rope is so much fun. Um, uh, because I've never seen that. Um, as, as we mentioned last time, and we haven't mentioned here, a lot of the reasons why we're talking about this today is because um, here in Columbus there is at the Gateway Film Center, um, Hitchcock-tober, which is kind of they're showing a lot of the original um, uh, Hitchcock films, some in 35 millimeter um, as well. And uh, that's coming up. In fact, there's a preview mm-hmm. this Thursday, if for anyone who's in town of Hitchcock October um, for anyone who's interested, and so a lot of these films are coming back to theaters here in Columbus. And maybe um, if you can't make it here, you can at least rent them maybe on your local um, on your local channels and things like that. So um, anyway, like that's the reason why we're doing that. So I'm, I yeah, was actually sure, like, yeah. looking up on the Gateway to see if I could find where, um, if at all, uh, uh, Vertigo is going to be October fourteenth, which tragically I cannot see. Because that is my rehearsal dinner, so yeah, <laughs> won't be able to see that one, but that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, I'm gonna miss a lot of these. Ah, rope. Oh no, <laughs> rope comes out while I'm on my honeymoon. Uh, that's
0: unfortunate. Yeah, well, you can you can stream it. That's right. I yeah. can still stream it, so yeah. it'll be fine. But well, the fun the fun of yeah Hitchcocktober is that they're uh, all shown in 35 millimeter except for uh, Dial M for Murder, which yeah. is being shown in 3D. Yes, and I don't think in 35 millimeter, but uh, which i have actually actually one I'm going to see. I've never seen that one. Oh really? Um, Me yeah. Neither. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, 35 millimeter is fun. That's the way we used to, you know. All films were made pre-Phantom Menace. George Lucas yeah. changing everything. <laughs> in 1999. Um, and such. I mean, it's uh, it, it was a great movie, but like, I mean, is it worth it? Like, yeah. I mean, come on, no, sure. <laughs> but yeah, but there's a way to. It's a different experience for sure, and it's not just like an old, you know, vinyl record, you know, mm-hmm. sound, and it has the, you know, uh, the <clears throat> the whole different texture you're looking through. Uh, but the meaning of shining light through the film, through into the theater, it looks like you know when, he, when in Psycho when he his eye is looking in the peephole, uh, voyeurism is a, a, a very another big theme of Hitchcock's. Right. Yeah. That's basically um, the hole of a
1: of a window. Right. Yeah.
0: For sure. And but that sense of you know the light shining on the eye and all that. So all these layers of light shining into darkness. Um, uh, which is fascinating in and of itself than this modern mm-hmm. format that, mm-hmm. we, that we've created. And so something's taken away from that. Yeah, directly that light being projected through the film mm-hmm. had a spiritual subtextual quality to it in its right. own way. But anyways, I love it. Um, and it does look and feel different. It feels more alive than the digital image, I believe.
1: Very much so, yeah. yeah. That's excellent, yeah.
0: Um, so you mentioned. Uh, so wait, I'm sorry, I, I cut
1: you off. Did you get through mm-hmm. the progression you wanted to go through? So you said maybe start with um, the the wrong man um, or uh, something like um, Rear Window, North by Northwest.
0: But definitely, uh, Rear Window is the. I mean, it's what I started with my kids. It's just a lot of fun, but it's also you know, uh, intense in its own way. Yeah. Um, Jimmy very, Stewart. Very. Know? Yeah. Very easy to watch. Grace Kelly. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, but yeah, those other ones are just great, uh, hi- highlights, not the ones who are usually highlighted, which are also really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then go ahead.
1: No, I was, I was just interesting. I didn't know that about Vertigo that, you know, even among his like most famous films like Vertigo yep. doesn't hit like a top billing. I mean, cause he's got all these like psycho probably would mostly associated with yep. him, but Vertigo as being this one that is seen as like replacing Citizen Kane. I mean citizen Kane level of things i mean that's interesting in and of itself to me i was just thinking of that while you were talking no
0: absolutely man and like citizen kane if you watch vertigo your first you know thought will be like why is this a big deal um and so it's so layered and complicated but a lot of it's also innovation um in both citizen kane and vertigo um, and you know more like movie-related things mm-hmm. uh, going on there, and so sometimes the first watch can be like, yeah, I didn't get that at all. Um, or Vertigo is even in plot is somewhat confusing at times. Yeah, uh, but ton of fun to explore and understand why it's become such a highly ranked and uh, valued movie and history movies. Go ahead.
1: No, I love that. I mean, and any chance to see Jimmy Stewart do his thing, yeah, I'm all for. Oh, uh, one hundred. Yeah, I, I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. Um, so that that's one of the I have seen Vertigo mm-hmm. and I very much like feel felt that during my first watch through was that this is I don't get it. Yeah, Um which is not to say that it was bad, it's just to say that like I, I didn't understand what they were getting through. But as I watched it through more I saw this is actually quite interesting mm-hmm. and fascinating. And so again, I mean that's just something that I've always appreciated about Jimmy Stewart's I mean, you talk about subtlety, you've got subtlety in Hitchcock and then you've got I think Jimmy Stewart's ability to act is just really um, something that I man. cherish very much. Um, One hundred, yeah. So you mentioned a big five. What would you? What is the big five?
0: Well, the big five is uh, Rear Window, um, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds. So mm-hmm. uh, those are the ones that are most often promoted. Apparently, I'm sure the same studio. Um, As well, because they're always packaged together. Um, But, yeah, you will see those on any updated Blu-ray or 4K or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're the big five because they were very – like, they're just the most Hitchcock-y Hitchcock Hitchcock, uh, you can get. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that really, like, he was able to uh, just – innovate and um and have fun and be himself and he did, did his tv show then but one of his big things too was he didn't care about the critics or even the audience he liked manipulating the audience but it wasn't his thing right his thing actually in, a, in its own way he also started in advertising before he got into all the mechanical stuff um but he was like you know what we call branding now on instagram having your brand and whatever but uh, he 100 went after that in terms of press, and he's in all the trailers. Obviously, he's in all the movies, uh, but he was like a, a nerd for uh, being a, a personality and for being seen and being a part of the press and the, the public, um, you know, relation side of all that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he he loved, and so that yeah. was also a part of his whole creation and art was to sell yeah. you know his his product
1: yeah and one of the things that's fascinating to me about him is that he is able to in an age before this is really even a thing like become i mean how many times do we think about film directors rather than film like series right yeah. so for example marvel has like a genre of its own that it's created in a, in a world of characters and things like that but i mean we could probably only name for most of us who are just average goers, like a few of the directors. Um, But Hitchcock kind of had his own cinematic universe of his own, which revolved around him. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to something else. And I mean, we didn't even get into the whole Hitchcock presents um, uh, TV series and things like that. That's, that's a whole other element, but you know, the profile he was able to kind of connect himself to a wider audience in that way. I think by being this, larger-than-life kind of director, right? That, that kind of form of, like, thinking about film, I think is, is pretty much... I mean, there are a few still around, don't get me wrong, but having, like, certain figures be kind of the driving force behind films and you go see it because it's this director uh, rather than anything else, that's not as common. Um, and I think Hitchcock is kind of one of those larger-than-life personalities that does that, so... Yeah. That's really
0: interesting. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
1: um, so as we're kind of, like... Um, winding down here, not to say we're, we're ending here, but I mean, are there any other thoughts on kind of some specific films to point out? As we mentioned, as, uh, this, this Thursday starts the preview of the, uh, hitchcock October. The, the, if you want to see that, the preview starts at 6 PM this Thursday, September 29th. Um, and so, but also if, um, if you want to just stay for an actual film, as Kyle mentioned, same night, 9:30. I'm sure right after, because um, the uh, preview is three hours long. So right after the that that preview, same night, Thursday, September 29th, is Dial M for Murder, and that's in 3D. Um, but yeah, is, is there any kind of other things you wanted to make sure that we got into about um, Hitchcock here before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, just two things. Um, one is another movie I watched, I Confess, which is only a second time I've seen this one, uh, with Montgomery Clift, and made in '52, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually about, it's um, again, more textual in terms of Catholicism. So Monty uh, portrays a, a priest, uh, Father Logan, who um, at the beginning, it's nighttime and he receives a man into his church. But we've just seen the first shot we, we, we witnessed was a dead body. Mm-hmm. And then a man walking down the street uh, who looked like he had priest's garb on. Um, and then his garb word. Um, I think so. And then, uh, goes to the church and wants to, he's a part of the church. Um, and as in like, w- you know, working at the church, but not a, like not a clergy member. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and but anyways, he wants to confess, mm. uh, to the murder to the priest. Uh, and I don't know if this is still true of the priesthood or not, but basically, uh, priests are protected even by law that they don't have to then, you know, if somebody confesses a murder that I'm going to turn you into the police. Right. um, <clears throat> And so it's interesting, uh, one, that, they're, uh, that that's happening. But mm-hmm. then, of course, in the investigation of the movie, uh, Father Logan, Montgomery Clift, becomes the primary suspect oh. uh, in the murder. Um, and so it's literally like the priest is representing the high priest, Jesus, basically, in that by, because of this confession, he mm-hmm. has now literally taken on mm-hmm. uh, the guilt and the charge of the murder Uh, That he's trying to figure out how to uh, get himself out of, uh, be proven innocent uh, without breaking the ethics of his position um, as a priest. And so it's a fascinating setup, Mm -hmm. and I think it really works, and it has a really great ending. Mm-hmm. Um in in part two. But it's usually considered lesser Hitchcock, but fascinating for for those reasons. <laughs> I love that lesser Hitchcock. Yeah, I know, right. And what was the name of that one again? I confess. I confess. Yep. That's great. Yep. And then uh yeah, last uh thought is just Hitchcock's idea, um and continual promotion of this idea of pure cinema. So it came out of, you know, the UK uh working during the beginning of movies, which mm-hmm. meant the silent era. Uh, and so he was obsessed with this idea of showing instead of telling at any point that he could. And so it's also the, one of the greatest lessons of cinema, the art of cinema, the art of movies. Mm-hmm. That got ruined first by the movies when they started talking. It yeah. turned into like filmed theater uh, at first. And then uh, television, of course, um, became driven by dialogue mm. um, and people talking mostly. And so the art of cinema and movies is that we actually still care about showing you something rather than telling you, Mm -hmm. uh, when and if possible. And so Hitchcock was, you know, that was his mastery. Yeah. Um, and he had like a, you know, spiritual conviction about it, which Mm -hmm. I love, um, Mm -hmm. how, how much he put into that and promoted, you know, that idea, um, and that concern into his movies, Mm -hmm. which again, was what, uh, the early critics obviously picked up on. Yeah that's fantastic and yep. I mean you still see
1: some of that like I said even in the films that he does have like the, the preference for showing rather than saying is so important I mean because um, how much of our lives are really that like just witnessing and really contemplating um, I mean less and less these days due to the kind of general noise of everything going on but yeah this is important so yeah come out to Hitchcocktober if you can if you can't um, there's lots of these things to stream um, lots of these movies to stream and so i, I hope that uh, you'll make some time this october to join us and to watch some good old uh, alfred hitchcock during this season and, and really just uh double down into his genius and the things that he brings so well That's as right. we're kind of wrapping up um uh, any final thoughts on on movies or films or things you're uh, looking forward to this semester uh we're uh heading into our year celebration
0: yeah uh no i'm excited about that I'm excited about um what we'll, what we'll talk about next yeah we, me we too. Have about too. yeah we'll
1: stay tuned um <laughs> obviously on the horizon uh next couple weeks will be a little um uh difficult just because of the uh, uh the wedding and everything coming up so i know that on the horizon this might be the next thing we talk about so stay tuned uh will be halloween ends which will mark our kind of one year in terms mm-hmm. of conversations what we've been able to put out um as a duo here so i hope you'll join us then but if not we'll be back a little bit earlier then with something else that we'll talk about but uh, maybe we'll watch some hitchcock and do a follow-up on that but either way uh, i hope you'll stay tuned that about wraps it up for us we hope that you'll uh, leave a review wherever you listen to us on so that other people can find us um that'll really is a great way to help the podcast but we'll see you next time here on the art house road show thanks for tuning in hope you all are having a great day Bye, everyone.
0: And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.